Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From pitch side to print to the press box above Providence Park. It's Jamie Goldberg from the Oregonian and Richard Farley from the Portland Timbers and Thorns. This is Soccer Made in Portland. On the scene, all the time. Welcome, everyone, to Soccer Made in Portland, uh, playoff edition. <laughs> really, really exciting playoff edition uh, based on <laughs> from the last time we recorded till now. It, it's going to be an exciting show or the games have been exciting? The games have been exciting. I, I can't really say we, how the show is going to be. It's not going to be an exciting show. <laughs> it's, this, that's not this type of podcast. We don't have you know fun and games. We're, this isn't stand-up comedy. This is very serious soccer discussion. <laughs> Is it very serious? One hundred percent of the time, no comedy. Yeah, there's definitely never any sarcasm. Nobody ever speaks half truths or tries to deceive anybody on this podcast. So we no, but this podcast will probably be pretty serious because the results speak for themselves this time of year. Yeah. And since we last had a podcast, since we were last recording in Frisco, Texas, the Timbers have come up with two very big wins. And so we yeah. should probably start with the first one last Wednesday in Texas, the win that got the Timbers to this point, two to one victory over Dallas. What did you think, Jamie? Yeah, I think that I predicted it. Spot oh, here on. we go. All right. <laughs> we're not even talking about how I know, it happened. We're not. We're not. But I, I was very excited about that. I think you, we both actually predicted this quite well. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I think. I guess let's start with the predictions since I was so excited about it, and then yeah. let's get into a, a little bit of a discussion on the game. Um, I predicted a two-one Timbers win which is exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, you predicted that Dallas outshoots Portland and it has at least 54% of possession. And Dallas definitely <laughs> outshot Portland 22 to five and held 65.6% of possession. So yeah. that's a pretty, a pretty good side bet as well. I feel like it was too, I like I had a parlay cause it was really two bets kind of in there, the possession one and the shots one. But like you were saying, before we get to the points, I think we both had a pretty good idea as to how the game was going to play out. And I don't know if this is what you were thinking at the time, but for me, it was really about who you thought was going to get the first goal. Yeah. And so I think we both thought Portland was going to get the first goal in my estimation. That meant that Dallas was going to ha- have to carry more of the game, more shots, more possession. And it seems like that's pretty much how it played out. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, I, I think when you look at when Portland scores um, in in Dallas, it, it was huge. I, I mean, Dallas gets a ball called offside, that or a potential goal called offside. That was the right call. Then Portland scores first. Then Portland scores again, yeah. a man down. Um, why don't you hand out points before we get into? I mean. The rest of that Like discussion. we talked about, you not only got the score exactly right, you foresaw how the game was going to play out. You based your score on that. It wasn't just like, I don't know, uh, 2-1. So I'm going to give you 56.1 points because not only should you get more than the 20 or so we give during the regular season, it's the playoffs, <laughs> and you nailed it. So 56.1 points. Now, right. me, I think that n- neither of my bets were that profound, but the fact that I did kind of lump two together i think i deserve some extra credit for that because even if one of those goes wrong i'm just kind of sitting here with not that many points i'm not going to double your score <laughs> though i think giving me hundreds of points for this is too much so i'm going to give myself 78.4 points all right side bets are a bit tougher I think, jamie so. goldberg is so competitive <laughs> <laughs> i'll take it it's she's fine. like she's like biting her lower lip just like i guess he kind of gets to get more points on this one <laughs> so, okay so the actual game itself i i kind of don't want to start with the first goal i want to start with the second okay. goal because i feel like that was the point where the game finally 
that was it. Portland had just had a man sent off about 13, 15 minutes before that. Larry Smabayala, uh, a dog so red card. Speaking of dogs, hi, poor child, <laughs> lapping up his water over there. Um, and at that point, I really felt it was anybody's game, especially because the Timbers just couldn't seem to mark Matt Hedges on set pieces all night. So at some point, Dallas was going to start generating a ton of corners. Portland was going to start packing it in and letting people come forward. And getting that second goal, especially as early as they did, I thought locked the game up. Yeah, I I think the uh, sort of stoppage time ended up being a little bit uh, more tense than than I expected. Oh my gosh, Um, we have to talk about that. (laughs) But yeah, I, I did feel like it felt like the game was over when the Timbers scored that second goal. And I think one of the biggest takeaways seeing that was just how important it was that the Timbers did rest their starters uh, a few days before in Vancouver Um, because the Timbers were able to deal with being a man down, continue fighting, not be fatigued on the road in in Dallas in a tough place to play and find a way to get that second goal. Uh, So I think that was huge. And I I just think it shows sort of the mentality that the Timbers are playing with right now. I I mean, we'll get into the Seattle Mm -hmm. game as well, but it seems to... Um, and we'll get into the Seattle game as well, but this team seems to just be playing with a lot of fight at the moment. And I, I think there was never a sense that, oh, only up one nothing with a man down that they were going to lose. This team continued fighting to put the game away. Yeah, when they went a man down, I thought they were pretty well situated to hold out for the last half hour. Would they have definitely held out? I don't know. But I, I didn't feel like, oh, great, this game's gone at this point. But the fact that they got that second goal, they were able to fight for that second goal, the person who basically produced that second goal has been the player that has emerged to really, I think, make Portland's attack go from just an opportunistic attack to an attack that can actually do things. Having Jeremy Abobasi's all-around skill set at the top of the formation has been so huge down this stretch run. And I think one of the things I kept asking players all, all through the week leading up to that game is there was this weird confidence about the team. And I kept asking myself, why are you guys so confident? You're the fifth seed. You're the fifth seed, and you put yourself in a situation where you had nothing really to play for on the last game of the season. I know fans don't like to hear that because definitely they had something to play for. But once they decided, look, it's kind of out of our hands. We need to we need to rest these guys. We might have a very difficult stretch ahead. Then they went into that last Sunday kind of saying, you know, if we win this game, great, but we've got we've to look toward the future. In the wake of that, I'm looking around going, these guys really – do feel like they can kind of tackle anything and I think over these last two games it really that's really played out they've played like the confident team that they are yeah uh, I think I want to talk a little bit more about the point you brought up with Jeremy Abobasi and I think it's a combination of how Jeremy Abobasi is playing and how Diego Valeri it seems like is making the most of the playoffs he, he has oh a really God. good history in the playoffs and um, starting with the Salt Lake games, he got two assists after going a pretty significant stretch with not really getting on the board. Um, but in the last, I mean, he scores two goals in Dallas, and as we'll get to Seattle, he has assists there. It's having him playing his best soccer again in the attack, having a Bobasi producing as the, the lone striker, having the connection between those two players uh, being as effective as it has been in the last two games. And on top of that, having Blanco continuing what he's been doing for weeks and weeks and, and continuing to produce and find goals. I'm really excited right now about how this Timbers attack is playing. And yeah. 11 goals in the last four games where the starting lineup ha- has played. So take Vancouver out because we, we really can't count that game when you're looking at where this team has been over the last month because it was a completely different lineup. 11 goals, four wins with this starting lineup playing in the <laughs> recently. Yeah, I, I think this attack and Abobas is a huge part of that has become a really big strength for this team. And four games against playoff teams. And the only one of those playoff teams that isn't still in the playoffs, Dallas, is not in the playoffs because Portland eliminated yeah. them. Two games against Real Salt Lake, one against Seattle. I think that, you know, all my analysis saying that Real Salt Lake is not a good team has to be <laughs> thrown out at this point. They, uh, they've played pretty well since um, going up against Portland. But even that, I mean, we answered a question on the last show. 7-1 against Real Salt Lake. Was that Real Salt Lake being bad or Portland being good? And it's looking more and more it was like it was Portland being good. you got to give Real Salt Lake some credit at some point. But in general, the attack that you talked about, it's gone from where we spent months of the season trying to really assess what this team does well to the point where I think they have the tools 
they need to execute how they want. And I know a lot of people, particularly going into the playoffs where you start seeing a lot more people nationally offer analysis of the Timbers, think of the Timbers as only a counterattacking team. I don't. I definitely think they are super dangerous on the counterattack. And those were the scariest moments at the end of the last game for Seattle where there were some four-on-three moments for the Timbers and they were getting it back on the counter really easily. I think the Timbers are more than a counterattacking team at this point. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I think a few other parts of the attack I wanted to point out, I, I think they've sort of found, started to find someone off the bench that maybe isn't at the level that, in terms of the goal numbers that Rudy maybe was in 2015, although I'd have to look back at exactly how many he actually scored. But Milano has been an effective option off the bench um, for them, and he's continuing to prove that he can at least give the attack a spark when he comes in. Armenteros has sort of fallen off the face of the earth, and I, I think that's going to be a t- massive talking point in the offseason, but not really something we necessarily need to get into right now because I don't think it has mattered as, as much as you think it would have. Yeah, and we'll also get into um, it later in the show yeah, based on we, a couple of questions we, we, got. we will. Um, but And then um, they finished the regular season with a team record 16 different players scoring this year. So they have... Oh, I didn't know that. The, yeah. This that a, makes sense. I mean, we've been talking about the depth all year and they don't... They don't have any elite scorers on this team. Got a couple players into double digits, but nobody was in the Golden Boot race. But they now have three players that you can say are are putting in pretty consistent performances in the attack uh, with the Bobasi, Valeri, and Blanco. They seem to be playing at exactly the level you want at this point in the season. And then you know that you have other players on the field that can at least contribute in moments. And you have a player on the bench, at least one player in Milano, that can come off and at least provide a spark. Mm. And I, I think those at least on the attacking side, is the right ingredients for a team that can make a real run in the postseason. Completely agree with you. Before we talk more about that, because that gets us a little bit more into the Seattle game, because Milano Mm -hmm. had a goal called off, and he looked generally uh, very, very helpful playing essentially a nine at the end of that game. At the end of the previous game, they had brought on Dyron Espria to serve as the nine, the outlet person. He's better in the air than Lucas Milano is, so the idea you're down to 10, you're just going to have to hoof the ball up there a while and hope somebody can kill off time. And I, I really honestly feel it almost cost him the game because Dyron just didn't get in the right place. Uh, you know, people maybe remember that game where Dallas is able to dribble up almost the edge of the penalty area before chipping a ball in, and then yeah. it's just chaos. The Timbers needed a player up top that was up there winning battles, and Dyron Espria kept drifting back and trying to help deeper, but you needed somebody at least running at the defenders when they had the ball, wasting some time, giving people an outlet to just put the ball behind the defense and have somebody at least try to fight for it. And you know, Matt Hedges scores that goal in the 94th minute, but if, if that goal had come five minutes sooner, I don't. the Timbers might have had to go to extra time, play with 10 men on tired legs, and I don't think they would have won that game. It was... It was a really close call, and it was really concerning to me to see how that played out. Yeah, I mean, the final minutes of that game were were incredibly tense, as I mentioned. And um, it's hard to see what Espria is really bringing to this team at this moment. It's hard to see what Armenteros at this moment is bringing to the team. I mean, I think those players, as players that sort of are at the moment, are filling out the 18, not necessarily in every game, but Mm -hmm. um, can fill out the 18. I think if you're going to look at questions of that's not the depth you want the Timbers to have, it, it's fair to question what those players right now are really bringing. Yeah. Um, even if I, I think in terms of, as we, as I was discussing, I mean, the attack as a whole right now, uh, there's a lot of positives there. Yeah. So it's good that Jeremy Obobese has emerged. And I think everybody feels comfortable with him as a starter. And I agree with you that Lucas Milano is showing that he could be a good substitute off option off the bench i mean he needs to continue playing this way i don't think any of us should be convinced because he hasn't played that many minutes this year but if that happens then i think um maybe what we've saw seen throughout the year throughout the year is harsh because i know there's been a lot of debate about diron espria throughout the year and he's been asked to do things that fans rightly don't think should be the number one priority for strikers to do but over the last what was it 25 minutes of that game in dallas he wasn't doing the things that I think he was being asked to do. So um, that's what made Lucas's performance on Sunday encouraging because you don't think of Lucas Milano as somebody that you want to be battling people in the air, but he was willing to do that, even against Roman Torres, who he has no chance whatsoever of winning an aerial <laughs> battle with. Um, so it, it's going to be very encouraging to see, or not encouraging, it's going to be exciting to see how Lucas Milano takes that role over the next potential four games of the postseason. 
Yeah, so I, I think, uh, unless you have anything else to add on Dallas, uh, we should get into the more recent game, I think the one on everyone's mind, since we've already sort of been talking around it anyways. And, and that's the Timbers win over Seattle in the first leg of the Western Conference semifinals on Sunday. The Timbers win 2-1, to one, mm-hmm. which I was debating whether to make that my score again and i did not so okay. i don't get any credit for that really except well, in my yes. mind <laughs> okay <laughs> in my own mind because i know that i was thinking that but okay. no i predicted a 1-0 uh timbers win i thought that this would be a little bit more of a conservative game on both sides and maybe it ended up being especially in that first yeah. half um and i think you were thinking the same thing because you said there will be fewer than two goals scored in the game yes um and you know you have a goal that early in the game. I don't think either of us thought that was going to yeah. happen, but it just changes everything, especially mm-hmm. when it's the road team that scores it. If it's the home team, maybe both teams just kind of sit there. The away goals rule isn't in play. Both teams can be kind of happy with that result, so maybe the game still plays out a little bit conservatively. But when the road team scores in the 10th minute, things have to open up, and we saw that in the first half. But you did still predict the right victor on sunday so we have to give you some points we got two games this week so why don't you take the points on this one since i took the points on the first one Ooh, i mean for me it's easy you can go and give me my points now yeah no i don't think i can give you uh any points for that one give something away that doesn't exist does not happen um i'm gonna give myself for getting the win um i'm gonna give myself 15 points i yeah, no. I think the home team is sort of these the, the it doesn't always happen obviously, but they're sort of laid out so the home team is supposed to have the advantage in their home leg. Um and I didn't get the scoreline right and I, I think I didn't get Seattle's away goal, which makes uh does potentially make a big difference. So yeah. um yeah, maybe you should have you should given the points. Maybe you would have been... <laughs> no, I, I would have... Yeah, you're right. I would have been more generous, but I think you made a pretty good case as to why that generosity would have been a little misplaced. Because over the first 10 minutes of this game, Seattle not only looked like the better team, but personally, when that goal went in, I'm like, oh my gosh, is Seattle just way better yeah. than even their hot streak indicated? Is this going to be like a 3-1 game? Their, their time off, are they just here rested? So I thought it was... Very encouraging that the Timbers were able to turn that tide. But for those first 10 minutes, it was it was a worrisome game that was unfolding. Yeah, the, the Timbers did, did not start well. Seattle had too much space uh, when you look at how they score. They had space around the box um they they to, to be able to score that goal and I, I don't think it came as a surprise when when they scored that now like you said the way the timbers responded portland was one seven and four when conceding first this season up until uh sunday and i think that speaks to what we've been talking about the confidence this team is playing the mentality they're playing with right now in the postseason uh, it, they they're playing with a confidence that's I, I think at a new level than than it was even through the majority of the regular season. I think within the players, that's where some of the 2015 parallels are starting to form. The idea that this team has gotten to a place where the other circumstances that start to emerge in the playoffs, whether you have to go on the road, whether you have four days rest or six, whether you have to take two weeks off because of the international break. They're at a point where I think they feel like if they give up a goal in the first 10 minutes, it doesn't matter who they give it up to. They they feel like they have the tools. They have the understanding of each other to overcome those things. And they certainly did that on Sunday because after those first 10 minutes, I don't think there was a point in the game where Portland was the worst side. There were points in the game where I thought teams were on even footing. But pretty, for pretty much the rest of the first half, Portland didn't only look like they could score two goals. Seattle needed halftime to come. Yeah, absolutely. The Timbers were far and away the better team for the remainder of the first half. And, and I think you look at uh, Abobasi's goal, um, that was a, just a beautiful play from the Timbers with Larry's pass. It. And Abobasi, despite being you know a relatively new starter, that was a, a smart chip from him to Very score that so. goal. And then Blanco's goal, I mean, that just speaks again to the fight. I, I mean, that looked like that play was over. I think it was Chad Marshall had slid in and tackled Valeri and, and Blanco. The ball bounced out to Blanco in the box, but he still had a defender on him, manages to get around him and score uh, the game winner. And... Yeah, I think you you have to be really happy with the performance going to halftime. I I think the feeling was that maybe the Timbers did have a third goal in them. I think the second half was a lot more even. Uh, Seattle had chances to tie. The Timbers had chances uh, and an offside, Mm -hmm. a goal goal called back on offside uh, that Milano scored. Um, 
to score in the second half, but both of those teams, I think, were sort of on equal footing throughout the second half. But overall, I, I think, especially against a team like Seattle that had won 14 of their last 16 games, it's it's a po- really positive performance from the Timbers. Yeah. Um, in the second half, I thought there was a chance for Victor Rodriguez that he hit right to Jeff Adnella that really he had both posts. All he had yeah. to do was pick one. So I thought the Timbers got a little bit lucky there. But also, by the end of the second half, the Timbers were getting out on a lot of counterattacks. And I could just sense in the Seattle bench that there was this feeling like, okay, that's it. we got to tighten it up right now. Like, we can't be trying to play this on even footing anymore. Close enough to the 90, we've got to just say, hey, get out of here with the 2-1. Because there definitely were chances to make it 3-1. We have a couple of questions like that. We'll address them in a second. But I think a couple things we have to talk about in the first half regarding um, Seattle – Chad Marshall looks like he's almost definitely going to be out for the yeah. Thursday game. He had to be stretchered from the field with what looked like a right knee injury. He didn't even move, try to move his leg before he was picked up and taken off. And then Christian Roldan apparently injured what looks like something in his abdom- abdominal area. Uh, we'll find out what it is this week. I think but- it was called a groin at least. Okay. Um, the, the PR staff walking around in the uh, press box said it was groin at least at that moment. But yeah. we'll see. And f- on the field level, that's what they were trying to work out, looking at something at just above his right thigh area in his midsection. And those are the type of things that don't usually heal within two or three days. So we'll have to wait and see. But those are two of Seattle's four or five best players. Those are huge blows. And definitely on the sidelines, there were people making parallels to what happened to the Timbers last year. You go on the road, top seed, one of the top seeds in the West, you're really confident, and then things just start going wrong. So, I mean, it's bad news, but it's the reality of what Seattle is dealing with right now. Um, I, I don't know how you feel about this, but I honestly have not given any thought whatsoever to how this actually affects Seattle. I just know that any team that's losing two stellar players like that, two best 11 candidates for the league is going to be much worse. Yeah. I think that Seattle is still going to be a very dangerous team in the attack. I think Rodriguez has been playing really well. I think, uh, Roy Diaz is, has been incredible for Seattle since he came in. Ladero has been racking up assists over the last month. I think from an attacking side, they are still really dangerous, even if Roldan's not on the field. Yeah. And so that one, from Seattle's perspective, even though I, I obviously they would like him on the field, I, I really am doubting that either player is going to play. We'll see. We'll find out more this week. But with Thursday being the turnaround as opposed to Sunday, I, I think it's difficult for any player to come back in. Wouldn't it be ironic if the short turnaround ends up hurting Seattle more <laughs> than just Portland? we have questions about that too. Oh, but really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, it would be. Um, but yeah, I, I think on the attacking side, I, I think it's a, an injury they can survive. I yeah. think defensively, it's going to be tough. I, I think this definitely is an advantage for the Timbers because like you said, I, I mean, Marshall could be the defender of the year. Um, and it could be, like you said, best 11 candidate. He, it just it changes their deep back line, not having him, him in there. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that obviously they were able to survive without him for a half. Yeah. Um, Seattle didn't uh, concede in the second half uh, on Sunday, but it, they just aren't going to be as good of a defensive team without him there. No, Roman Torres is obviously a really good and very yeah. distinct player. I mean, who doesn't want to have a left tackle <laughs> playing at center back? But particularly in a game where they might have to throw their fullbacks forward more as they chase a goal up in Seattle, leaving him exposed on the counterattack a little bit more against a team that might be the best counterattacking team in Major League Soccer at this point. Yeah, it's a disadvantage that they probably didn't want. Uh, they might even be better pulling Gustav Svensson back into that role. Gustav Svensson has played central defense in Major League Soccer before, uh, but I fully expect Roman Torres to play there. And then, like you said, in attack, you know, their attack is in some ways very similar to the Timbers in that they play a 4-2-3-1, but their right wing isn't really like a great attacking option. Christian Roldan had nine assists this year, but kind of like Andy Polo, he's the fourth prong in an attack that's built around three people. For Seattle, it's Nicolas Ladero, Victor Rodriguez, and uh, Raul Ruiz Diaz. So those three are still going to be intact. Those three are still going to present problems. Uh, but thankfully for the Timbers, from their point of view, they're going to get Larry Smabiala back in the team. Yeah. So uh, touching on that, Megan wanted to know, how do you expect Portland's lineup in, in preparation to adjust, or, or do you expect any of that to adjust based on the changes that uh, we're basically expecting that Seattle is going to have to make because of those injuries? Hmm. I don't know. What do you think? I mean, I have a reflexive answer that I kind of want to think about for a second, so I kind of <laughs> want to ping-pong this back to you for a second. Right. Yeah, I, I don't think it's going to change much of anything. I think the Timbers have sort of, and it's interesting given that, you know, 
we've talked all year about Giovanni Zarresi making tweaks to his lineup information. Oh, that and, is interesting. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't think that, I think they've sort of settled on their lineup information, and, and I think it's working for them and it's effective. And while their game plan might change slightly, and there might be within that lineup information certain things, certain areas of the field they want to um, concentrate on, certain ways that they think they could hurt the Sounders because of maybe some absences there. Um, I still expect we're going to see pretty much the same lineup with Mabial coming back in, um, unless there are real questions about fatigue in any players. I think that would be the only reason we'd see a change or um, potential injuries. Armenteros wasn't in the 18 and Guzman, we haven't really discussed, but left with maybe a possible concussion. Um, we'll have to get updates on those. But outside of injuries and potential fatigue, I expect the Timbers to do as close to the same lineup as they can, adding as they did in sun- Sunday, except adding Malbial and, and to have the same four two three one formation. I completely agree with you. Uh, I'm glad that you went first because it allowed me to kind of think along with you, and I entirely agree. You know, one of the virtues of a four two three one is just the malleability of it. It can play like a four two three one. It can play like a four three three, a four four one one, a four one four one without having to really change your personnel or even change any of the principles that underlie your tactics. And I think what we're going to see is that in these games throughout the rest of the year, you're going to see from game to game. Timbers press a little bit differently, pressure certain players in certain areas. Uh, maybe like we saw this weekend, we saw the fullbacks really getting involved towards more of the middle of the field, Viafania and Valentin coming inside of their wingers a lot this time. And those are the kind of changes I think we'll see, but I don't think we're going to see any major changes to the lineup. You did mention David Guzman, so it's probably good to talk about him here because that could be one of the two major changes to the lineup we can anticipate. One is Larry Maviala coming back in. I think we all should expect Maviala yeah. to partner Liam Ridgewell. But that also has uh, maybe a carry-on effect into midfield because we saw Lawrence Loom come in to replace David Guzman five minutes into the second half. That probably happened because the Timbers had a lead. Okay, maybe that's an argument to start him in Seattle if David Guzman can't go because the Timbers will have a lead there too. But does Bill Tuiloma play there? Does Andres Flores play there? What option do you want to go with? We've talked about this before. The attractiveness of the four-two-three-one is really compromised yeah. when you lose the guzman chara combination. Yeah, and I, I think that's going to be a big question going into this game. I, I mean, Guzman, it looked like he, obviously he goes down with a head injury in the first half, isn't taken off at that point. Don't know if he was exhibiting concussion-like symptoms, but Stavresi said later on that when he did come out, he was feeling a bit dizzy. I, I think he was also dealing with the leg injuries, maybe a little bit of tightness or something there. So there, there's definitely questions right now about his health and whether, yeah. especially turning around to Thursday, as we talked about on the Seattle side, when you're seeing a player having any sort of injury um, on Sunday, the idea of them playing Thursday, I, I, I think is difficult. Um, and yeah, I, I think it does compromise what's been working so well in the four two three one for the Timbers. I, I think Guzman kind of like his resurgence and the way he's been able to play sort of in the second half as they've moved into the four two three one in the last month has been incredibly important to the Timbers finding success in this formation. And I, I think it is going to at least open up some questions for Savarasi. I still sort of expect them to go with this formation. But who partners alongside Chara, I think, is a real question. I mean, like you said, they couldn't be defensive. I I think Olam is probably the most likely. Um, But they could also put Paredes there. Yeah, that's another one I didn't even mention. Yeah, and like you said, Flores or or Tuiloma. And they have some options there. And I don't think any of them are as effective as Guzman alongside Chara would be. No. As we're talking about this, it's kind of nice to remember how David Guzman has played over this last month since the first Salt Lake game. He's legitimately been a very good player during that stretch. So uh, from the Timbers sake, if you're a Timbers fan listening to the show, congratulations for finding it. I'm sure (laughs) you're one of the only Timbers fans that listen to a Timbers podcast, (laughs) but you should hope that David Guzman is able to go on Thursday. You want to hit some of these questions? Well, I think right before we sort of um, finish previewing the game and hitting questions, I did want to get to the the point that we sort of touched on because we got a few questions in, and I think I want to hit on it here about whether Timbers should have gone um, maybe more forcefully for that third goal Mm -hmm. in, in this game on Sunday, the Timbers obviously earned the win, but Seattle scores an away goal. 
Um, and Portland is only leading the series 2-1 going into Seattle. Just to clarify for everyone that might be confused by MLS rules because they are very confusing, um, if the Timbers go to Seattle and earn either a draw or win, uh, they will advance. They could also advance with a loss in Seattle, uh, depending on the away goal tiebreaker. If the At the end of regulation Thursday, if the teams are tied on aggregate, score between the two games the team with the most away goals would advance Uh, so that puts the timbers in a position a 3-2 loss they'd advance if that was the score line in seattle a 1-0 loss uh in seattle then seattle would advance Mm -hmm. um so that away goal ends up being important potentially important for seattle and the fact that the timbers are only leading by one goal makes it a little bit uh, a little bit scarier going into this game so matt and i think a few other people asked uh how did Gio not push harder for a third goal when we had Seattle on the ropes with Marshall and Roldan having to come off? I, I think he pushed hard. I mean, I think he pushed hard enough. I, I don't look, they were basically at the, what the one quarter mark of a four part match. I, I just don't think you go all out in part two or four. There's still so much left to play for. You know, you just kind of went over the away goals rule, getting a goal in Seattle, the Timbers scored three, their last time they were there. If they get one there, they cancel out. Seattle's away goal. Getting two goals up there, if they had uh, given up two goals to Seattle on Sunday, that's a lot different. I don't feel like this one away goal is so much to overcome. Uh, but if you're going to go all out and say, you know, we have Seattle on the ropes and, you know, maybe take a defender off and put an attacker on and really go for that two goal lead, I mean, to me, to me, that just doesn't, one, it doesn't make sense. And two, the Timbers were generating good chances at the end of that game without doing that. They got out onto like three or four counterattacks in the last 15 minutes. And if I'm Giovanni Savarese, I'm sitting there going, we, as is, might have a goal in us. So I, I, I too, I guess, was kind of feeling like it was a missed opportunity that the, that the Timbers didn't get a third goal. But I don't think it's a matter of Gio not pushing for it. I think Seattle just played good in the second half. Yeah, I think you're right to say missed opportunity because I, I think everyone would feel a lot more comfortable coming out of that game if it had been a 3-1 scoreline versus a 2-1 because yeah. CenturyLink is a tough place to play. The Timbers have won recently there but have in their history rarely won at CenturyLink. But yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think it would have been reckless for Savarese to start throwing numbers forward and just pushing for that goal because if Seattle, if he had done that, it would have opened up the risk of Seattle coming back and scoring. And Seattle was getting opportunities already in that second half. It yeah. was not clear that the Timbers, maybe through the first 45 minutes, the Timbers were definitely on the front foot, definitely finding opportunities. And they maybe were unlucky that they weren't able to find that third goal in the first half. But in the second half, the teams were pretty even. The game yeah. was open. And I I just don't think it made sense for Sarvesi to be reckless, throw numbers forward, and, and risk Seattle uh, coming back and tying the game up. Because if they go into Seattle at a 2-2 tie versus a 2-1 win, then Seattle is the absolute favorite to take the series. Yeah. I completely agree. And I also think, and this ties into the next question uh, here, uh, somebody, oh, that's just the question that we have here for, on our notes. How confident do you feel about Portland's chances in the series after this result? If I'm Giovanni Savarese, I've played 360 minutes against Seattle this year. And I feel good about almost all of those 360 minutes, whether they be in Seattle, whether they be in Portland. The Timbers have had the better of the Sounders this year. And I think coming into this match, one of the things that, I dwelt on to the point of like annoying myself about it is okay. How much do those three regular season games matter in the face of Seattle's form? And I think what we found out on Sunday is they, they matter a lot. They tell us how these teams match up against each other and the Timbers are in good shape. They don't need to start altering their plans. They don't need to start chasing um, kind of, you're not chasing the score. You're almost chasing an imaginary score, thinking that you need to get to three, one, the 360 minutes these teams have played against each other this year shows that the Timbers don't need to get to 3-1. If anything, they show that Seattle needs to figure it out. So if I'm Portland or if I'm a Portland fan, I'm feeling pretty confident ahead of Thursday's game. Guardedly confident because Seattle's a good team and they're playing at home. But the history of these two teams this year, Portland's been the better team in this matchup. I sometimes wonder if being the higher seed and getting to host the second home game is actually an advantage because I think there is some just level of confidence going into the second leg, knowing 
what the scoreline is, knowing exactly what you have to do to, to uh, find a way to win the series. And the Timbers know right now that they are winning and they just need to prevent Seattle from beating them uh, at CenturyLink. And I don't think they're going to play for a tie. I don't think that would necessarily be smart because once you start changing your mentality and game plan and, and sort of just trying to hold Seattle to zero goals, that's when you end up giving up a goal. But they do know that it's not just about they have to go there, they have to score goals. That pressure is not on them. Um, The pressure is going into this game on Seattle. And and so I do always wonder why it's such an advantage for the higher seed to have the second game because really what it does is it ends up putting pressure on them if the results go sort of as expected in the first leg. Yeah, they used to talk about this a lot previously in MLS, maybe five, six years ago, because I think during that time there was just a, a spate of lower seeds uh, beating the favorites. This is back when like the Houston Dynamo were finding a way to make it through the East each year, even though they would finish fifth or sixth. And the Galaxy, too, didn't seem to care about the regular season because they could just go on the road and pick off the Supporter Shield winners, San Jose, uh, with uh, with Edson Buttle <laughs> that's, and Robert That's Robin a King. funny term. Oh, <laughs> no, it, it's actually happened. I know, but it, right now no, it's a funny no, no, term. No, 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 no. There, there was a time where San Jose was actually good. Yeah, that's that's so far back. <laughs> no, really, like really. I mean, we didn't have electricity or running water back then, <laughs> but it was something that has actually happened. There was no jokes on this podcast. Richard. Well, we need better ones. But I, I think at that time somebody came up with the idea of letting the team with the better regular season record decide if they want to play the first game or the second. And I think just for national television rules and trying to have a somewhat predictable schedule, that might have been one of the reasons why that hasn't happened. But yeah, the Timbers. I think more than anything, they were able to have a a game at home to really show that all of the lessons they've learned over the years, all of the success they've had against Seattle over the year, they were more important than Seattle's 14 wins in 16 games. So they get to go up to Seattle now after a game at home, having proved that Seattle's recent history over the last couple of months of the season doesn't matter at all. Yeah. So in in terms of going up to Seattle, that's Timber's at Seattle on Thursday, 7.30 p.m., CenturyLink Field. Um, I, th- I think we've touched on sort of a lot of the preview things um, for this game, just sort of in our talk of Sunday's game. I, I think one of the biggest talking points going into the game is probably the short turnaround. Yeah. We were talking about this before the show, so I'm like smiling at Jamie because we, we disagree. <laughs> we disag- no, we didn't disagree on this, but I kind of just, I chose to look at one half of the coin and you chose to yeah. look at the other. Let's talk a little bit more about it. There was a car show, I guess, in Seattle on Sunday at CenturyLink <laughs> Field. <laughs> um, and because of that, uh, Seattle was the only team uh, that was be hosting in this round that got to move up their game to Thursday. All, the other three second legs are going to be played on Sunday. Mm-hmm. So all those teams will have a full week rest in between games. The Timbers will be playing three games in nine days. Yeah. Seattle will be playing two games in... Uh, Five days. <laughs> Two games in five days. Um, and, you know, they didn't have to play a midweek game last yeah. week. so They don't have to deal with the midweek game. But now, sort of looking in the context of this Sunday, mm-hmm. they might ha- be in worse trouble around injuries because of this change. Yeah, potentially. I mean, particularly with Roldan, I think we... I think we all kind of expect the worst regarding Chad Marshall, even though that hasn't been confirmed yet. But if, if Roldan had a few more days, maybe he'd be able yeah. to go. And maybe he will still be able to go. But it is interesting that that's biting them a little bit. Obviously, it's going to bite the Timbers, too, in the form of David Guzman. Particularly if it is a head injury, two days could be the difference. The, yeah. But the one thing that we've been talking about for a couple of weeks on this show is just the general fatigue for the Timbers. And the fact that these tight windows have been the bane of the Timbers existence this year. Uh, Even after the first one where it was Vancouver at home, DC United on the road, sporting Kansas city on the road, Giovanni Savarese kind of admitted that, Hey, I wouldn't handle things like that again. Well, the next couple of short turnaround weeks, the results weren't any better. They were generally bad away from home and they were generally okay at home. So you're going away from home here. How much of that history matters here? I, I, I kind of don't know. Um, I, am I being too optimistic about that? For me, I just think that the the energy of the Derby really helps here. Because if this was like Kansas City, I think maybe your emotions don't can't carry you as far because this, you're not playing Seattle. But if you're playing Seattle, I think that gives you a little bit of extra energy that helps. I think the emotions of the rivalry and just the emotions of the postseason do help. I, I think there is... Um, 
a level of adrenaline uh, that's in place here that kind of carries the players on even after they're feeling fatigued. I am also concerned about for the, for these starters um, because as we talked about before, Sarasi did make what's turning out to be a great decision not to play stars in Vancouver. But even just for the starters, if you kind of take that game out, it is three games in nine days. Yeah. It's basically the compacted schedules we've been talking about this season that haven't gone well, and the Timbers have some key players that are over thirty that I'm just not sure how they're going to hold up in this stretch. Yeah. Um, Michael asks, how will Liam Ridgewell hold up with his first compacted? schedule in a long time and i really don't know i am assuming ritual will be in there unless there's some sort of metric that says he can't go um because you just want to ride your best players in the playoffs but yeah i don't want to be the person that goes to ridgy before this game and says you know the data is saying that you shouldn't (laughs) go i mean if you if you honestly believe that as a coaching staff and you have to have that difficult conversation more power to you but i think liam ridgewell and pretty much anybody at this point you're right You just write them at this point. And I think that's true, but that doesn't mean that they're going to be at their best. And I'm just not convinced. Ritual, more so than anyone else on the team, just because of his age and how his injury history and how he's held up in in sort of these compacted schedules. He's never been one that's actually played all the way through them. Um, I, I can't remember, um, if he's even done that during his time with the Timbers, but definitely not in the last few years. Um, I'm just, not convinced he's going to be able to be at his best. And and this is a tough place to play. This is a a place that Seattle has a strong history against the Timbers overall at CenturyLink. Although the Timbers Timbers have a one game winning streak there and they've never, they've never lost at CenturyLink field in the playoffs. Timbers do have a one game winning streak. They've won there in the playoffs. They've also won there in us open cup. Those are those, those are the only three wins they have at CenturyLink. Two of them have seemed to come in big games with a lot on the line. So yeah, Absolutely. That's another I mean, history point you can look at if you want to. But it is a tough place to play regardless. I think fatigue is going to be a factor in this game. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not sure if it's going to be the deciding factor. And I think Seattle is going to be dealing with some of that fatigue as well, though the Tibbers' compacted schedule is tougher. Yeah, I mean, it's possible that fatigue is a factor and it just has to change the way the Timbers approach the game. They play more conservatively. Um, maybe they manage certain people's minutes. It changes substitution patterns and they still make it through. I think there's like a 60% chance that it won't matter and a 40% chance that it will. So I do think there is a significant chance that the fatigue will be a factor here, particularly if it goes to 120 minutes because they're playing on a football field. They're playing on a track that is designed to enhance speed and not be forgiving. That'll matter. That that well, there's a forty percent chance that'll. <laughs> I say as if my number is definitely right. Um, so some listener questions. Yeah. Matt asks, "Who is now the favorite in the series? Two one is not much of an advantage heading to CenturyLink, and I, I agree it's an advantage, but how much of one is it?" I think the Timbers are are still the favorite, and that plays. I just think that there, there's a level of confidence knowing what you have to do. Um, that, that you're not the team under pressure uh, in this situation. Now it can change quickly if Seattle gets an early goal. Um, that's all Seattle needs to change the momentum. But right now the Timbers have the momentum, and, and I think they do at the moment hold an advantage going into CenturyLink. Yeah, I agree with you. And just to be completely repetitive about it, we've seen these teams play each other four times this year. We know how they match up against each other. Seattle needs to come up with another trick. Maybe they will. If we don't know that trick ahead of time, we have to assume that the four games we've seen from these teams are informative of something. So I think the Timbers have to be looked at as the favorite. RTH, is there some sort of divine justice that Seattle will probably be missing two key players because MLS let them reschedule to Tuesday? Do we believe in divine justice, Jamie? Let's get very deep on <laughs> yeah, this, this podcast. This could, be a, this could be a really long discussion if we want it to be. Um, I think there is some sort of justice uh, that that is what happened because I think... It is not really fair um, that Seattle was able to make this schedule change. I understand that their field had a conflict, but it, it was an advantage on paper for them and in a playoff situation that that's just not fair. And as it's turned out, it might not be an advantage for them. And I think that's um, probably the justice <laughs> it deserved. Yeah. I mean, I have a little bit of trouble getting too invested in this. I definitely don't think that MLS should be setting up dynamics where this is even possible, but I, I find it very difficult to believe that there are a lot of people in that Sounders front office that take a lot of joy in the fact that this had to happen. Yeah. Tom 
asks, with Abobasi's form and the potential he's put on display, do we see Samuel Armenteros in green and gold next year? What other clubs around the world have green and gold? (laughs) That is a bad way to respond to that. I don't think Armenteros is going to be a timber next year, and I don't think it necessarily has all that much to do with Abobasi. I think that obviously Abobasi uh, coming into this role, taking over the starting position matters and it puts the Timbers in a better situation when they're talking about what offseason moves they need to make. But Armenteros went 12 games where he scored eight goals. And outside of that, since then, he's done nothing for the Timbers and you, he just is not worth the amount of money they'd have to invest in him when he hasn't shown that he can be the consistent attacker they need. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I do not think at this point that Armenteros is going to be a timber next year. Yeah, I think it's pretty uh, a pretty common assumption that if he is back next year, that his option to buy from his Serie A team means he would have to be the designate, the third designated player. So right now, Lucas Milano is the third designated player in addition to Diego Valeri, Sebastian Blanco. You get another DP in, you can, pay Blanco, um, you can play Milano down from that third DP spot. Okay. If you exercise the option to buy on Armenteros, not only are you bringing him back and you're taking a chance that his form will be better next year than it is this year, you're also eliminating the possibility of using that third designated player spot in the open market. So there's a huge opportunity cost there with Samuel Armenteros. Now, the other option here is that, hey, we like Sam. We want to bring him back. We think he's a good guy. We got to negotiate a different deal with his Serie A club at this point. We can't bring him back as a DP. The The buy option has to be lower. It has to be nothing. He has to come here under some other means. So I suppose that's a possibility. But I think objectively, almost anybody looking at the situation would have to say, you can't bring Armenteros back if that means occupying your last DP spot. Let's go on to... Do you want to answer the sub-question here? Or do you want to go on to Ron's question in this document? I, I think this was part of Tom's question as well. Oh, Just okay. essentially, does... Bobasi's form, current form, what what does it sort of mean for the striker position in the offseason? Do they look for another striker to push Bobasi? And if they do, is that striker a DP? Is that striker a TAM striker? What sort of level are you looking at, um, given that you might want Bobasi to be your star next year? That's a great question, I think. I'd be more interested to hear your thoughts on it than mine, because I know my thoughts. (laughs) They're not surprising to me. To me... If you're going into a season where your striker depth chart is basically uh, Obobese, Langsdorf, maybe Milano, that sounds like an area of need, even if you think that Jeremy Obobese is going to develop because you just don't want to go in there with only one proven score at that position. Or at least if the Timbers last offseason is any indication, the organization as a rule doesn't want to do that. That's the whole reason they brought Armenteros in to compete with Adi last offseason. Yeah, I, I think the Timbers are still going to look for at least a TAM-level striker, if not try to fill the DP um, spot with a striker. They might wait on the DP spot and make it a midseason acquisition and sort of just bring in a TAM striker in the offseason. That might make sense if they're going to still give Konechny any sort of real chance, even though he's sort of also fallen off uh, the depth chart for, at the moment. But if they want to give him a chance to see if he does develop next year or if they want to see if there's a better move they can make in uh mid-season but yeah i think you have to bring in someone um you don't want to push a Bobasi down the jeff chart to the point where he's not playing again but the timbers are going to need more depth at four positions and as mls continues to get better i think it is going to be a position they want to get better in as well yeah i mean another option is like we saw a player like kai kamara last offseason move from columbus to la doesn't take a designated player spot, Takes a it's a TAM spot, basically, that they're buying him down from. Maybe you look to the internal MLS market as an option there, and then maybe go out and get a winger or um, somebody who can also be uh, help the creative at the creative level of the field as that DP spot. But either way, uh, if I were Gavin Wilkinson, I, I'd probably make striker a very high priority this offseason. Last question, and this one kind of feeds into the next uh, part of the show. So we've got the last question of the Timber Session slash hot take interlude happening here. Ron asks, seeing the lack of people in seats at several of the playoff games reinforces to me that MLS needs to rethink the playoff structure. Thoughts? Jamie, give me your hottest take answer to that question. (laughs) Yeah, so this uh, was going to be to... 
on this subject, I wanted to talk about this for my hot take. To answer Ron's question, that wasn't necessarily a point I wanted to hit. So I'm going to answer that first and then go into my hot take. I think the lack of seats, the lack of people in seats over the weekend was sort of surprising given that it was a Sunday game. I mean, I guess you're going up against NFL, but it's still a weekend match. Um, I, I kind of expected more from some of these markets. I don't think that's necessarily what I would have been thinking when I said that think that MLS does need to rethink the playoff structure. Although I, I do think this is something we need to look at because some of those attendances, I, I mean, I, I think 10,000 in Columbus or something like that is, is they have such a good relationship with their fans. I don't understand why that wouldn't work <laughs> out for them. Yeah. I mean, there might be some other factors there, but I, I the, the, the attendances this weekend overall outside of Portland were overall disappointing. I think that MLS has a lot more issues with its playoff structure than just that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think the playoff structure is really tough on the players and it's just generally bad for fans. So whoever wins Thursday between the Timbers and Seattle won't play again for 17 days. And then once they do play again, they'll have to squeeze in two legs of the conference championship series into just five days. Yep. <laughs> and if Portland advances, they will have played more weekday games in the playoffs uh, by the end of the conference championship than weekend games, yep. which I think weekday games generally you would think are going to a lot tougher sell in terms of both attendance and in terms of even the TV audience. I think that's a much tougher game. You would like these games, marquee weekend events, um, but that's not really been set up like that for this playoff situation. And because of the international break, uh, that sort of happens in November every year. MLS always has this big problem between its conference semifinals and its conference championship with the way they lay out the playoff structure, where they just get all this excitement around playoffs. They have the quick knockout round. A few days later, they have the conference championship. A few days after that or a week after that, they have the second leg. And there's all this excitement building around playoffs. And then it just disappears for two weeks. And yeah. in the Timbers case, because of the, this game has been moved up, it'll disappear for 17 days. Um that's a terrible format for a playoff structure when you're trying to get fans excited about this end of the season. Um, and by the time you're playing MLS Cup, it's already December, and these playoffs have been going on for well over a month. I think that MLS completely needs to rethink how they set up playoffs. And I, I really think what needs to happen is they need to find a way to get it in before the international break. Um, and I, I think it's even if it means you know, making playoffs shorter, finding areas in the season so that the season doesn't run as long. I think in the long run, if they want to have excitement around playoffs, this needs to be done by the international break and having this massive gap um, between games where excitement just completely dies needs to go away. Yeah. I I always feel at this time of year also, and it makes me start thinking of things like, do we need to go to single elimination playoffs so the playoffs don't take as long? Do we need to stop allocating so many midweek potential match days to Open Cup and put MLS matches on those days? Do we not need to not take so many breaks for international tournaments, be it the World Cup or the Gold Cup or whatever tournament it may be? Do we need to have teams play through more international windows that are in the middle of the year? I think all of those answers are preferable to having playoffs that are compromised and feel dull and uh, aren't giving you the best opportunity to promote the league. As bad as all those ideas kind of seem in the abstract, when you compare them to a playoff format that just kind of loses some steam because of these things or compromises the actual integrity of the competition, I think it's preferable. All right. My hot take is born off of something that I mentioned in passing at the beginning of the last episode we did that I I thought was kind of a joke. Uh, But as some people know, I try to look at our post on Stumptown Footy as a point of engagement and talk to people because it's really the only time I ever talked to actual people who listen to the show. And the idea that Wilsonville could possibly have better food options than Portland was deemed insane, which when I say it out loud again is, yeah, that seems like a justifiable opinion. I mean, what's this Wilsonville place? I make it sound like it's just this oasis of culinary <laughs> diversity. But compared to Portland, it kind of is. I mean, Portland's got some really good restaurants, it doesn't have a lot of diversity of options. And I think that's what I was kind of going on. I mean, like coming from California, the fact that there's like no Latin food scene up here. Uh, we're whatsoever. like a few blocks away from 82nd right now. You are completely 
basically I, all okay. the Latin this pronunciations. This is this is the hottest take. I, I have so much to say. I'll let you finish. Oh my gosh! I'll let you finish. Like this is the hottest take 80, of the year. Eighty second Street. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, I I completely agree. There are a lot of options on Eighty Second Street, but you go down to the places where. Um, the neighborhoods that people like to frequent when they think about their best spots, whether it be the, the neighborhoods in the south, southeast or on the west side or up in the nor- northeast, there's like almost an embarrassing amount of culinary diversity there. And yeah, absolutely. You go out to places like 82nd Street or Beaverton or Wilsonville, and you do have options. I think that's kind of my point. Portland goes through these phases where they have these incredible movements of different culinary options. Like, you know, four years ago, people got into this big pork phase and you had all kinds of different new pork based restaurants opening up. And uh, over the last year or so, we went through from like a trivial amount of Vietnamese places to where now there's a Vietnamese place every four blocks, it seems like. And it'll be great to see what the next fad is because we'll have some awesome options. But Portland needs to get over itself a little bit if thinking itself as some kind of culinary mecca because y'all just kind of go through phases, really good phases, but you're still lagging behind on almost every kind of checklist when it comes to diversity of options, unless you're willing to get in your car and drive 20 to 30 minutes somewhere. I just... I, I just disagree. I can come up with pretty much any cuisine that I can think of on a any given day and within within the Portland boundaries without leaving Portland, I can find some really, really good options for that type of food. Often by not even by walking distance. I mean, we're in the deep Southeast right now, by the way, (laughs) that's still Portland. And I think this is a very, I think the East side of Portland, again, that debate, I think the East side of Portland is a much more vibrant food scene. And so maybe that's where you've got stuff wrong. It's just not diverse. I, I think it is diverse. I think there's a lot of different options and, I mean, coming from San Francisco, which also considers itself a foodie city. Oh, it's way better than this place. I, I mean, I guess not on the disagree. as far as options. I disagree. Just because you can find one Indian, good Indian food place in Portland doesn't mean it has a vibrant Indian food scene or even a good Indian food scene. Or you go just down the list, Chinese food, every single kind of food that isn't just... The fat, some fad that's happened in the last twelve years. I mean, even looking at the food cart scene here, a lot oh of oh my god, some food th- carts. Let's let's <laughs> talk about that. I do not want to be going to food carts for my meal options. I'd rather just stay at home and make bad food rather than be standing outside in the rain getting something that's wrapped in paper, sitting on the like some bench on a sidewalk and eating there. If I'm going to go out and pay money, I want a food experience that isn't out of a vehicle that can be latched to a truck and moved someplace else. You just. You just have a very sad life, I guess, about food in Portland. I don't know. I don't know. Food in Portland. I feel bad for you because the food in Portland is way overrated. The food in Portland is fine, actually. But the idea that, like, you know, Portland food is just like so. The Portland food scene is beyond reproach. Like, it's unimpeachable. Um, Or, like, particularly if we're going to start talking about the diversity of options, like, we don't have to get into a full discussion of Portland diversity on the show. It could be because it's going to be a very disappointing and sad discussion. But that lack of diversity is reflected in the food scene. That you know, like you said, you can get anything within the boundaries of Portland. I don't think that's a virtue. I think that's a minimum requirement of being a civilized society in this country. Like you should have a society that reflects different options in the world. But the fact that you have to even phrase it that way, like within the city boundaries. Okay, that's not really a virtue. That's just well. I just think you're thinking of Portland as too small. I I think. I mean, I love different parts of Portland: southeast, northeast, North Portland. I, I mean, I, I think you're thinking of Portland as only like the inner part of the city. So that was the only reason why I'm talking yeah, about right. the boundaries because I think um, out in southeast is just as much Portland as downtown. Yeah, you know, you're, um, right. you're absolutely right. The way I phrase that, de- so and I that. think on 82nd, if you want some of the best uh, Asian food and the best Latin American food in the city, you can go on 82nd and, and get that. And I used to live in the Mission, and I think that there is a lot of really good taquerias in the mission, a lot of really good Latin American food in, in, in the mission Definitely. district of San Francisco. Way more than here. But I think there's a lot of pretty good options that are similar to that uh, in Portland as well. And yeah. definitely more affordable, um, which I, I is for me <laughs> part of the reason why I think Portland's food scene is so great is it's, I think, great. so many different options at an affordable price that anyone anyone can go out to dinner and enjoy. I think I've yet to have a decent Chinese meal in Portland. So we're going to have to go out to dinner. We could literally have a... Can we go in San Francisco? 
<laughs> no, we're going to, I'm going to have to show you around Portland sometime. We <laughs> could have this conversation for like an hour. So but we also should... I'm kind of notorious amongst my friends of not really caring about food too. So I'm kind of, uh, this is why this is a hot take. This is a is very, very hot I'm actually hot like take. being uh, very opinionated about something that I actually don't care about really. I, yeah. I don't really care about food that much. Yeah. Um, let's move on before we turn this entire show into a food talk. Um, but I, I think I need to give you some like restaurant recommendations at some point. I don't care. You... I just said, I don't care about food. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to make you care. All right. Um, so the thorns, <laughs> <laughs> where are the thorns eating? Well, yeah. some of them are eating in Portugal where the U S women's national team is playing on Thursday. Uh, some of them are uh, in other places in Europe, Switzerland plays on Friday, their World Cup qualifier, the last round of their World Cup qualifier against the Netherlands. Uh, Australia has friendlies too, but I think we want to focus a little bit on the women's national team because there are a couple of thorns for whom this could be a big week. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think with the U.S. women's national team, they're, they're going to play Portugal and then they're going to play Scotland um, starting uh, I think it's Thursday against Portugal and then Scotland next Tuesday. I, I think the Biggest questions, kind of what to watch from a Thorns perspective going into this. I, I think that every time AD France gets called in, it's if she's ever going to get her cap. And it just has been a depressing conversation throughout the year. We'll see mm. there. Um, I would really like to see that happen, but I, I have no confidence after past precedent. But I think probably the bigger talking point, um, because it, it actually will probably continue to be a talking point, is what, what kind of playing time Emily Sonic gets and, and what she can do with this playing time. Yeah, I feel like I want to create an imaginary friend and name it Adriana Francis Cap because it doesn't actually exist. But regarding the right back spot, I think uh, uh, this is a lot of this is going to come down to um, if Casey Short is healthy or how healthy her ankle is. So she, we have alluded to this on the show before. She dealt with an ankle injury all year, but when she got healthy enough to play, one of the interesting things is somebody who had been a left back for her time in the NWSL played on the right this year, and that throws her into competition. I think. I think Casey Short might be a better fullback than Emily Sonnet. I say might because Emily Sonnet isn't a fullback by trade. Casey Short is. We Emily Sonnet has played well at right back since being put in that position for the national team. And I honestly just haven't thought about what it would take for Emily Sonnet to do to prove to me she's better than somebody who I get to see play fullback habitually. I think that describes what she's up against. She's no longer competing against somebody like Sofia Huerta, who's somebody that Jill Ellis attempted to convert from attack to fullback. She's having to compete against legit fullback options like Kelly O'Hara, who is not in this camp because of an ankle uh, operation, or Casey Short, who is in this camp. So I think it highlights the uphill battle that Emily Sonnet has to claim uh, first team time, first 11 time, but she might get some time against Portugal or Scotland, and she's clearly still in the discussion at least. Yeah, I, I just think these with O'Hara's injury, I think that this is, um, and we'll see what, like you said, what short status is. But I think these are going to be big games for Sonnet just to sort of prove to Jill Ellis where she's at and, and potentially um, in Jill Ellis's mind kind of move herself up in the in the depth chart. Yeah, I, I you know, I don't think I'm going to talk to Emily until she's back here in February. But uh, I wonder what her mindset is like because she can't consider herself a fullback. She has to consider herself as a center back. I think she considers herself more of a midfielder than a fullback. I mean, she likes playing midfield. She really liked playing midfield in Australia last year. Uh, but also, the opportunity to start for your national team is not something that everybody gets. And I don't think she looks at it as like, oh, I'd rather be playing center back. I think she probably looks at it as like, I'm being asked to play fullback. And while I'm doing that, I'm going to compete there. But I'd be interested in her saying that because I just feel like I'm just speculating as to how I would deal with the awkwardness of the situation. Do we so. want to talk about my imaginary friend anymore? What it's going to take for my imaginary <laughs> friend to show up this week? I mean, I think it's possible, but I've I've been pretty consistent about being overly optimistic about Adriana French getting a cap. Yeah, I mean, it seems like she's the third goalkeeper at this point, which it, it means that she's sort of moved up that depth chart over the last year. But yeah. I, I wish that as the third goalkeeper, she's going to consistently be getting these Collins that Jalels will would at least give her the opportunity to sort of see what she looks like around the rest of this team and in game minutes. But yeah, it, it hasn't happened yet. So yeah. I just don't have a lot of faith in it. It's going to be really exciting if it ever happens. Um, I, I think uh, Twitter will be blowing up, I think with <laughs> Thorns fans, if that happens, but 
it, it's hard to it's hard to think that it's going to happen in this camp because it hasn't happened yet. I would say everybody who is interested in this, watch the January decisions regarding national team contracts and allocated players. That'll be an indication as to whether Adriana French, whether she plays or not this week, she could legitimately still be the number three, get a start just for you know giggles and other things that I won't say. Um, but in January, recently, U.S. soccer has only been having two goalkeepers on full-time contracts. If Adriana French gets one of those contracts, that'll be the greatest indication that she has actually passed Ashlyn Harris in the pecking order. And I think it's possible. I don't have any inside information on it. It's just, you know, hearing people talk, hearing some speculation, that seems to be the point at which some decisions would have to be made, especially going into a World Cup. Speaking of decisions, it's not a World Cup on Thursday. It'll feel that important to some people. <laughs> the people that are going to be going north to CenturyLink midweek Thursday night game in Seattle, Timbers are up one to nothing ahead of the second leg of their Western Conference semifinal. Jamie, you did such a good job of predicting both games, actually. You got one dead on the nose. You got another one right and got the goal difference right. So why don't we just give you have you give your prediction and let's not actually watch the game on Thursday. <laughs> well, we should definitely watch the game since I'm going all the way up there. So oh, you want to watch something. Oh, okay, I didn't know you were and going you are up too. there. Of course you did. <laughs> <laughs> Where are we eating? We should we should eat somewhere there. In Seattle. <laughs> yeah. How's Seattle's food? See you in Oh my gosh, I hate it. I hate Seattle's <laughs> food scene so much. It's way too expensive. It's more diverse than here, but it's diverse in the most kind of annoying ways. Um, yeah, no, I like Portland's food scene way more than Seattle. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, so the game. Uh, yeah, I think Seattle is going to win this game. Um, I think that they are going to win it at home against the Timbers, but. I think they're going to win three to two. You are you are so having it both ways here. I am. Oh my gosh! I think the I think Seattle's going to win three to two. Timbers are going to get those two away goals, and they're going to advance on away goals. Oh my gosh! She doesn't actually have to predict the quote unquote upset that the Timbers might get in Seattle, but she gets to predict this. Portland moves on into the conference finals. This is a brilliant prediction. This is absolutely brilliant. Watch I love it. it so watch much. it happen too. <laughs> Oh my gosh! I can't even imagine my reaction next week if it happens. I okay. If it happens, I'm I'm saying right now, man. For the I I feel like if it doesn't happen, you should get minus five points. <laughs> no. But if it does happen, you should get ninety six points. Like I feel like this should be like a very like make or break kind of pick because you you want it all here. You don't want to make it seem like you know I'm I'm picking the Timbers. I to win in Century Link. That's an absurd prediction. Seattle's good. But I do, want, I do want to say that the Timbers are going to the conference finals. I don't know why I'm phrasing it like this. This is a perfectly reasonable prediction. <laughs> and it falls right in with my prediction, my side bet, too. Because I'm saying Diego Valeri will have multiple assists in this game. Which means that I agree with you that the Timbers are going to score multiple goals. Now, I don't have to say how many goals I think Seattle's going to score. <laughs> but I, I'm obviously not saying your prediction is complete BS. So maybe I was just playing it up a little bit over the last couple of <laughs> minutes, right? Well, I think that's it. I think that's it. Uh, if you, no fantasy this week because the fantasy season's over, but if you're one of the spring or fall winners, as I said last week, we, we do have a grab bag of some random prizes. If you want one of those, reach out to me. I've heard from a few of you so far. Um, but yeah, uh, we'll talk at, next week after the Timbers playoff game uh, against the Seattle Sounders. We'll see what happens Thursday night. Um, but that's it for now. You can find us every week on uh, Stumptown Footy, Oregon Live, and Timbers.com, or you can subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher. We're Soccer Made in Portland, and until next week, take care. <laughs>